Welcome to another episode of People with Passion for Pets. Today, my guest on the show is the president of the Arizona Search, Track, and Rescue Organization. Her name is Christy Smith. Well, Christy, welcome to People with Passion for Pets. I'm excited for today's interview. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Christy, you are the president of the Arizona Search, Trek, and Rescue Organization. It's called AZ Star for short. Is that correct? That's correct. Excellent. And you've been with the organization ever since the beginning. You told me prior to the interview. So talk a little bit about how you got involved in Search and Rescue. So I got involved in it actually when I lived in Kentucky. Um, in the mid 80s uh, with the Kentucky Search Dog Association. Um, I was looking for something to do with one of my dogs and uh, the president of that organization came and spoke to the kennel club whose meeting I happened to be attending. So I cornered him afterwards and talked to him because I did have some familiarity with search and rescue dogs, um, mostly avalanche dogs, um, having grown up in Colorado close to some major ski slopes. Um, That was before there were books written about how to train dogs for search and rescue, et cetera. We all kind of muddled through, but when the first book came out, we found we were doing it all the same way. So mm-hmm. people across the country were had all learned the same way to train the search and rescue dogs. Um, they were predominantly trained on life find initially. Um, and then we started um, spreading out and training them to find, you know, people who had, who had, we actually trained on deceased individuals um, using pseudoscience and using some real sense that were gathered um, from medical examiners, et cetera. Um, in 93, I moved to Arizona and I worked here first with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department and then formed, uh, three of us left the Sheriff's Department and formed an independent group called Arizona Search, Track and Rescue. Um, our reason for forming that group is we wanted to be able to respond not only within Maricopa County, but statewide, nationwide, and internationally if requested with our dogs so that we could provide assistance to whomever, whenever it was needed. Um, and so that was the the formation of AZ Star. Nowadays, I don't get fielded as much as I would like um, because I have to manage the search, um, mm-hmm. but whenever possible. I still go out with my dogs. My dogs are all cross-trained to work with other handlers. So when we're resting one dog, they can take one of my dogs out and my dogs will still work for them as well. So, um, so that's, uh, so you're not just a president of an organization. You have obviously been in, in search track and rescue for many, many years. Um, and I yeah. know that the people that are listening, including myself here are, uh, wanting to find out more. What does it take to, um, for a dog to become a search and rescue dog or for a team to become a search and rescue team? So the dog, let's talk about the dog first. The dog has to have a drive to do things. And then we channel the drive to finding, to a game of hide and seek, um, with the ultimate scent being the human, human scent. Um, And then they get a reward. So they have to have a drive to want that reward so that they'll go out and search independently from the handler, whether it's by trailing or by air scent, two different disciplines there. One, uh, the air scent dog uses air currents to locate the subject and it will cast in front of the handler in a pattern 
hunting, hunting, hunting. Um, a trailing dog is using ground scent. Sometimes they are started at the point last seen, so they actually have a trail of scent to follow. And sometimes they're looking for that trail. So they have to hunt as well. Um, the trailing dog follows the individual close to where they've traveled. They can get off a bit of ways depending on where the scent has been carried by wind. Um, and the air scent dog just uh, uses wind currents all over an area to locate him. One is not better than the other. The two actually, two disciplines actually complement each other very, very well um, in determining direction of travel, whether a person has been in this area or not, et cetera. So um, as far as the handler, the handler has to learn, number one, a lot of dog skills, how to read the dog, how to train the dog. The dog has to have basic and advanced obedience, agility skills, a lot of temperament stuff, has to have directionals. Um, the handler has to know how to train all those or be taught how to to train those. Um, and we're talking directionals at distance, not within 30 feet, but maybe 500 feet. I quite often will stand on a deep canyon or drainage at the top my dogs down it to work up and down it and up the other side without me necessarily having to having to traverse all that ground. Um, not that I couldn't, but the dog is better suited to cover a lot more ground than I am. And they typically cover three to five times more ground than the, oh. the handler does sure. or the support person. Um, support person and handlers have to learn, have to both know how to read the dog um, in the field um, so that the handler can tell if the dog is getting whiffs of scent that they're not able to follow through because we are a team out there. It's not just the dog working. It's not just the handler working. They're a team together and um, they're only as strong as their weakest link. So they both have to be strong. Um, the handler has to know a lot of navigation skills, both with reading a map, being able to pinpoint where they're at with a map, use of a compass, use of a GPS. They have to know survival skills because they might have to take care of themselves uh, and the subject and their dog overnight or for days in the wilderness. Um, they have to know how to preserve crime scenes. Um, they know have to know how to man track. So they have to know, you know, by looking at vegetation and terrain, if somebody has been through that area, et cetera. So there is a lot of skills that both have to know. It takes on average about two years to get a dog and handler to an operational level. Um, people that have really strong outdoor skills um, tend to have a little bit of a leg up, but it doesn't mean the process, especially with the first dog, is going to go any faster. After you train your first dog, if you've really paid a lot of attention during that time, you can sometimes get your next dog to an operational level quicker. Um, and you also typically, I know after I trained my first dog, he was just a dog I had that I was looking for a job to do and he excelled at it. He worked because I asked him to work, not for love of the work. So it's very different. Um, my second search and rescue dog had, he didn't want to do anything but search. He was a, he was an incredible dog in many ways, but also could have been detrimental in other ways had he not had a skilled handler with him. Um, this was a dog that he located a subject and he came back and he told me he was about a quarter of a mile away from his subject. He came back and he told me and I said to show me and he went straight off a 40 foot cliff 
because that was the shortest route back to the individual. Oh. He was fine. He, he didn't <laughs> rock and roll and it had to grass, but, but it, it could have not ended as well. Um, but that was because this dog only lived and breathed. He went right through the center of Toya patches to get to his subjects. Wow. If that's where the wind came through. That's where he was going. Um, my third dog, I call him, he was kind of, I kind of got what I was looking for. Um, a dog that wanted to work, but had a few more smarts about it. Not that my <laughs> second one didn't have smarts, but he, he had one thought process and nothing else. And that was to find that subject and get wow. me there, no matter where, it, how it took us, where my third dog went, okay, I think we'll walk around this Choya patch or we'll go down <laughs> this path. It's a little easier to get there, mom. Um, so, and every dog has had different things that they've brought to the game, um, the game of search and rescue. And it is a game to the dogs. If we do not keep it fun and engaging for them, then they don't want to do it. So mm-hmm. unfortunately it has to be taught as a game to the dog. Um, and there's a lot of people that when you're on searches and they see the handlers, playing with their dogs exuberantly, you know, they might get upset because it's their loved one that's missing. It's a a serious situation. Yeah, it is. And while we're cognizant of that, we also know that in order to keep our dogs working, we have to continue that game. And which is hard on the handlers as well, you know, because many times we're not finding them alive. We're finding them deceased. Hmm. Um, And it is something that the person who's handling the dogs and the support people have to be able to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. Um, Our team gets called for a lot of cold cases. I've been all over the world doing cold cases, Um, been to Japan, I think three or four times doing cold cases. Um, And we've been other places doing cold cases as well. Uh, You know, and it's just something that we do because it needs to be done. And as a parent or, you know, having family members, I would want to know for sure what happened to my family member or my loved one. And so we do it because of that, not because we want them to be deceased. We'd much rather, the, the life finds are so much better always yeah. for everybody. But in order to keep our dogs happy about working, even on those cold cases, we have to be able to, um, compartmentalize things and set it aside and, and grieve separately. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, So you are a hundred percent a volunteer organization, meaning everything that runs within your organization is done by volunteers. And so you obviously have a need for people supporting your cause. Talk a little bit about that, about how people can support you. So obviously uh, volunteering time, either as a supporter, a handler, or one of the other extraneous personnel we need for managing searches and stuff is always helpful. Um, we, you know, volunteering to come out occasionally and hide for the dogs is a big thing. All the handlers struggle with finding lots of new people to come out and be our quote subjects and hide for us, either in the desert or in urban areas that we might be training in. Um, we also, you know, survive by corporate and, um, private donations. Um, we do try to do fundraisers, but those fundraisers take a lot of time and energy away from us training. So we try to, to minimize those as much as possible. Um, 
you know, one of the things we are trying to find is somebody that is a grant writer that wants to donate some time to write grants because we know there are a ton of grants out there, but none of us on the team right now are skilled grant writers. So we're, uh, when we try to write a grant, we're not always as successful as we could be just because we don't know what we're doing. I also don't know how to research grants, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we can typically find a way to uh, involve anyone that wants to assist us in any way. Uh, sometimes it's getting donations, you know, to have a raffle or something. So that's perfect. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people interested in learning more um, about your organization. So um, share where they can find you. I know you have a website. Are you on other social media as well? It's on our website, on our website, which is www.azstar.org. We do have our links to our Facebook and our Instagram accounts, et cetera, so that people can find us. There's also a contact us on the website. There's also phone numbers and emails that we do a lot of um, educational stuff for um, different types of health fairs, et cetera, so that people are educated on, you know, staying safe if they're out in the wilderness, et cetera. So there's a lot of uh, those things that we do along with stuff with kids and how if they are get separated from adults, how they can also keep from becoming a, a subject. That's wonderful. Now, um, you talked about your training. How often do you guys train? What does it take to keep a dog um, up in his so, skills? So it takes quite a bit. We have a mandatory once a month training at minimum where the entire group gets together and trains. Um, and then we have some what we call impromptu trainings where the people in the East Valley might get together once or twice a week and the people in the West Valley get together once or twice a week. And it all, all kind of varies. A handler has to train about five of the seven days a week. Wow. Either doing runaway stuff or obedience stuff or sometimes a type of search type exercise that keeps the dog using its nose well. Yeah. And so it sounds like a perfect opportunity to see how that really all works together is to volunteer and be a subject for the dogs to find, because then you really get the firsthand experience of uh, how that all goes. That's typically the best place to start. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. That's where a lot of people get hooked. Well, it's uh, so, so interesting. And obviously, it's also a very important need. Now, you don't just do um, like lost people. I saw that there were some other skills that some of the handler teams have. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. So we do. We search for people who have drowned. We do, of course, the lost people, cold cases. Um, We get asked to do a lot of stuff for homicide investigations as well. Um, Part of our, a lot of our handlers are also trained to repel with their dogs um, because many of our searches do take us into uh, different types of environment um, that we might need to put a harness and and a rope on um, to traverse. Um, You know, we all, like I said, we are all um, trained in man tracking as well as cramping preservation. And because of that, sometimes if it's too hot or the terrain is not suitable for the dogs, which most terrain is, it just depends on the time and what the temperatures are. Um, But we can man track as well, um, because we all practice that in our man tracking teams 
um, as well so that we can track even without the dogs. It's just not as quick and not as efficient. A dog can cover um, the amount of ground that 35 people can cover. Wow. Their sense of smell is 100 million times greater than ours. And we can't even fathom that. Yeah, that's amazing. It's such an amazing uh, skill. And it's so neat that, um, you know, there are people out there that that use that and train the dogs to, mm-hmm. to help in these in this way. It's it really, really is amazing. If people join our team or want to join our team, we teach them all the necessary skills. Um, when we do our trainings, our, our motto is we train as we search and we search as we train. So, you know, we try to mimic those scenarios as much as possible obviously when we're starting a young dog it's a little bit different but we do train people how to train their dog as well as train them for all the different skills that's wonderful and so is there actually a certification that the dog will or in the or the team will eventually get uh, before they go out and do real cases or Yes. So they, we have our own standards. They're some of the toughest in the nation, um, which we felt was important um, so that our, we knew that our dogs can work in any environment, any terrain through any, um, any distractions or situations. So ours are pretty tough standards and it doesn't, whether they're doing cadaver human remains development, um, our discovery, um, water work or live find trailing work. There's a set of standards for those um, for basic level one and level two. Our level one and level two are our are, uh, are, are operational and they're, they're extreme tests. So, and they test not only the dog, but there's portions that test the handlers and support staff as well. Well, it sounds like it's a it's a wonderful organization, a really um, obviously great cause to be a part of uh, it. But it also sounds like it's very demanding. You have to you have to have a lot of skill. But uh, as you were saying, you also have to have um, probably a lot of endurance and uh, be somewhat physically fit to be able to go out and and do these searches when it's in tough terrain. And uh-huh. here in Arizona, of course, you know the weather can be very very demanding. I'm sure as well. Right. Yeah, it can. And you have to, to do this, you have to have a passion of doing it because there will be months, you know, sometimes six, seven, eight weeks where we go by and we don't have a call out. And then all of a sudden there'll be three or four, but it's easy to get discouraged about working and training all the time when you don't have those call outs or you see searches that you know you could have helped on that you weren't called. And that's unfortunately just part of it. Law enforcement is typically the jurisdictional agency for most searches. And so there are some law enforcement agencies that don't want to to involve outside people and others do. Um, That's their prerogative. We are just a resource that they could call on. Um, Our organization does carry its own liability insurance, et cetera. So they do not assume liability for anything that we do. But also because of that, our teams need to be at a very, very high level because I never want to have somebody come back and say that we missed an individual when we've done a search. So how how many, do you have a number of how many cases you guys have already uh, been involved with or searching? I've I've never totaled them up. I can tell you that our average is we get about 35 plus call outs a year. 
of those, we norm in most years we respond to the majority of them. Um, this past year, there were a couple that we did not have teams available because they were elsewhere to respond, so we weren't able to. Um, I can tell you, our heaviest year we did 102 search days. Wow. So that's a third of the year we were searching. Wow, that's amazing. And how about your own dogs? What uh, Do you have multiple dogs? Do you just have uh, one working dog or how does it work? No, I'm one of those that has multiples. It seems to have grown over the years. I, I currently have seven right now. I have a 14-year-old oh, wow. <laughs> that is now retired, my 14-year-old. I have two nine-year-olds. I have a four-year-old, a th- almost three-year-old, and then I have... um. That's one, two, three, four, five. And then I have two that are just 18 months and in training. Oh, wow. So. And is it, uh, is it a certain breed that you specifically look for or are all breeds, um, you know, good to, I, I know that a lot of times for tracking dogs, they'll use like a, maybe a, a hound dog or a, you know, bloodhound or something like that. Are there mm-hmm. certain breeds that you prefer? So everybody has their own preference. Um, I've trained a lot of breeds and helped handlers train a lot of breeds over the years. It's not so much the breed. It is the the drive of the breed or of that individual dog. Um, and you have to know the type of dog you're working with to get it to engage properly and keep it engaged. Um, I'm a professional dog trainer by trade. So, you know, that helps me assess dogs. I also tend to watch the dog initially and see what it does before I decide which discipline it should do. Um, if I force one of my Belgians, so I have Belgian Tavirans, if I force them to put their noses down, they will quickly pull them up because they'll figure out that the fastest way to that subject, if they can smell them on the wind currents, is to follow the wind, not the trail. And I want the fastest way to the subject. I also typically have a bloodhound um, that I work. I am, uh, my bloodhound passed away a little over a year ago, and I'm waiting for a new puppy from the breeder. Um, They are the Rolls Royce of trailing dogs, as far as I'm concerned. Um, They naturally go to ground and stay there, and they will naturally follow a human scent because that's what they've been bred to do for since the 1800s. Unlike other hounds that have been bred to chase animals and trail animals, and you have to then proof them off of that. The bloodhound has been bred to trail men exclusively. Um, my bloodhounds, if they get a good air scent, will pull off an air scent the last little bit to the subject as well. So it's not that it's any one versus the other. It's about what works for the given situation. Um, I also have an Australian shepherd as well yeah. that <laughs> is excelling at search and rescue too. So that's awesome. on our team, we have we have Goldens, we have German Shepherds, we have mixed breeds. We have, I think um, one of our dogs that's on there now is a, is a, I think I want to say he's probably a, a hound mix of some sort. Um, and I think one of the hounds that's in him is a sight hound because of how he works mm-hmm. um, and the, 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 how his body is. I would say he's one of the sight hounds. So like great. Awesome. Hounds. So, So, yeah, and, you know, that's what we find, too, in so many different things. It's, I mean, certain breeds certainly are bred for um, certain, you know, tasks, but -hmm. then there's always the things that just just surprise you on how, um, you know, dogs excel in all kinds of different ways. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I one time trained a cane, of course, to do search and rescue. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and that's, that's awesome. not a breed one would ever think of yes. doing search and rescue, but she excelled at it. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, this has been such a great interview and so much wonderful information. I hope that people will go to your website. Uh, again, we'll we'll share that in the description below the video. I hope that people will um, look at your organization and hopefully um, get involved in any way that they possibly can to help you uh, with your cause. But um, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having us and letting us tell people a little bit about AZ Star.